0: You're listening to How to Win with Mike Moore, the podcast that provides you with practical insights on how to win in every arena of life. Hello, I'm Mike Moore, and welcome to this Thursday edition of the How to Win podcast. These podcasts are based off 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. It says, Now thanks be unto God who always causes us to triumph in Christ Jesus. It is Thursday. So glad to have you with us. Please tag a friend. Let them know that you can get us on Facebook, YouTube, Mike Moore Ministries. And at the beginning of next year, we're going to be transitioning solely over into Mike Moore Ministries. Listen, I'm so glad to have you with us. We're going to conclude a series And a revelation that I believe has been the most outstanding revelation God has given to me concerning financial material prosperity. And that is that he is the God of abundance. This is our seventh and final lesson. Now we've covered a lot of territory in this series. We've talked about what is the abundant life. We've talked about God's nature is an is abundance. We've talked about qualifying issues in terms of stewardship and purpose. And then we've talked about God's ability versus man, uh, responsibility. Listen, we've covered a lot. I want you to go back uh, on YouTube, uh, Mike Moore ministry uh, page and look, go back over these lessons. God is the God of abundance. Say that God is the God of abundance. Now, our theme has been developing an abundance mentality. That's what I've been shooting for. Not that you understand everything, remember everything, but what I wanted at the end of this series, and if this is your first lesson or your second lesson, I want you to go back because our theme and in essence, our goal is that we want it to develop in you an abundance mentality. Many Christians have what I call a poverty mentality, but we wanted to develop in you an abundance mentality. Now, in this final lesson, we're going to be talking about mindsets that rob believers of the abundant life. Mindsets that rob believers of the abundant life mindsets, the way we think. Proverbs 23, verse seven says, for as he thinks in his heart, so is he. The abundant life, the rich life, the prosperous life begins on the inside. It doesn't begin without external circumstances. In fact, it is a known fact that many individuals, whether it be entertainers or athletes or musicians or rappers or whoever it may be, many individuals who acquire a large sum of money, many don't ever actually experience long-term term prosperity. Because when you acquire external wealth and prosperity and riches, but you have an unrenewed mind. You have a part po- you can have money, you can have a, a a lavish lifestyle and yet have a poverty mentality. And what a poverty mentality would do, it will end up changing your lavish external circumstances but if you're rich and 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 have an abundance mentality on the inside then it will not only change your exterior but it will cause it to be sustained over a period of time so as a man thinks in so is he and so we've been working primarily on your, thinking. The two parts to this uh, last lesson, mindsets that rob believers of the abundant life, there are two parts to this lesson today. We're going to talk first about lack is not God's will. We've been talking about abundance, but we're going to talk about lack. Lack is not God's will. In the Second part of the lesson today, we're going to talk about five minutes, five manifestations of a lack mentality, five manifestations of a lack mentality. Now, let's begin to talk about the f- this insight that lack is not God's will. Lack is not God's will for your life. I want you to meditate on that for a moment say that lack is not God's will for my life. Now, we make statements, but we always attempt to prove those statements by giving you proof text or scriptural text from the word to validate the point that we're making. And the point that we're making is that lack is not God's will for your life. Lack is is not God's will for your life. Scripture says in the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word is established. I'm going to give you three witnesses from the Old Testament, three witnesses from the New Testament, to validate this point that lack is not God's will for your life. Now, let's look at the Old Testament for a moment. In Psalms 23, that great psalm about the, the good shepherd, verse 1 in the NIV translation says, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. Traditional King James says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. The word want literally means lack. But the NIV translation says, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack Nothing. One translation says, because the Lord is my shepherd, I have everything that I need. I have everything that I need. In Psalms 34, verse 10, in the New Living Translation, we have our second Old Testament witness. It says, even strong young lions sometimes go hungry. But those who trust in the Lord will lack no good thing. Now listen at this. This is is Psalms 3410. I'm reading it out of the New Living Translation. We're establishing the fact that lack is not God's will for your life. And in this second witness, Scriptural proof text, Psalms 3410, New Living Translation says, Even strong young lions sometimes go hungry, but those who trust in the Lord. Do you trust in the Lord today? Is your trust in the Lord? It says those who trust in the Lord will lack no good. Then our third witness is taken from Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 9. I want to read it from the New King James Version. God is speaking to the nation of Israel before they enter into the promised land, and He's communicating to them what this land of promise that the scripture says flows with milk and honey. He's speaking to them. What life will be like, the condition of their lives in this promised land, Canaan land, will be like. So in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 9, it says, A land in which you will eat bread without scarcity. Now notice that. A land that you will eat bread without scarcity. Scarcity is a level of poverty, it's having barely enough. It's a a hand-to-mouth existence. It's living from payday to payday. Now, God says in this land that I'm going to take my people, you're going to eat bread without scarcity. But notice what else he says. He says, in which a land in which you will lack nothing. Notice he says in this land that I'm taking you into, you're gonna lack nothing. So we gave you three witnesses Psalms twenty three one, Psalms thirty four ten, and Deuteronomy chapter eight verse nine to validate this statement that lack is not God's will for your life. Let's move over into the New Testament. In Luke chapter twenty two, verse. 35, Luke 22:35 uh, in the New King James version. Jesus asked his disciples, his 12 uh, disciples, a question, a question. He had led them for three and a half years. He had tested them. He had uh, challenged them to trust God for their provision. In fact, he instructed them, the 12 apostles, when he sent them out, to not take extra provisions with them. Then when he sent this 70 out in Luke chapter 10, he instructed them to not take extra provisions with them. Now, he was training them to trust God. So in verse 35, Luke twenty-two thirty-five, 35, he said to them, and he's asking them a question, when I sent you without my, a money bag, knapsack and sandals, did you lack anything? In other words, he says, now when I sent you out to minister, I instructed you to not take a money back. I instructed you not take extra suitcase full of clothes and all these kind of things because I wanted you to trust God. I wanted you to learn to trust God for your provision. So he asked them, when I sent you out, did you lack anything? Now listen at their response. So they said nothing. Notice, they said nothing. They lack nothing. That's Luke 22, 35. Let's move now to the New Testament church. The the baby church, the the church that has just been started on the day of Pentecost. Acts chapter 4, verse 34, verse A in the New King James Version. It says not only was the power of God in great manifestation, it says, nor was there anyone among them, among the believers who lacked. No lack among the believers. They were sharing with one another because they understood that lack was not God's will for his people. And the Bible says, and we're talking now about 3,120 on the day of Pentecost, Peter preached a sermon, 3,000 were saved at 3,120. In this same chapter, chapter 4, another 5,000 were saved. So we're talking about 8,120, and the Bible says there was not any one among them which lacked. And then finally, our third proof text from the New Testament is 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 10 through 12. Paul is writing to the churches at Thessalonica. In verse 10, the New King James Version, reading to, through to verse 12, it says, and indeed you do so toward all the brethren who are in Macedonia. But we urge you, Paul, he's writing to believers, to the church. But we urge you, brethren, Christians, saints, that you increase more and more. Now, notice what he's saying to them. He's challenging them. He's letting them know that it is God's plan, God's will, God's desire for their lives, that they increase more and more. When we get to the 11th verse, He says that you also aspire to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business, to work with your own hands as we commanded you. And then in verse 12, that you may walk properly toward those who are outside the unbelievers and that you may lack nothing." Now notice the Bible says that he's urging them to increase more and more. That's 1 Thessalonians fourteen, Verse Thessalonians 4.11, he says, "'We urge you to lead a quiet life, mind your own business, work with your own hands as we commanded you. And in other scriptures, he has said, now, if you don't work, you shouldn't eat. So he said, mind your own business. He says, live a quiet life. Don't be in strife with different people. And he says, work with your own hands. And then verse 12, he says, this is the purpose. This is the reason that you may walk properly toward those that are outside. Walk properly toward unbelievers. Our walk with God is important to us being a witness to unbelievers. And then he says that you may lack nothing. So we see from the old all the way up into the new that lack is not God's will for the Christian, the believer, the saint. Now, that's the end of part one of this series, this lesson. And in this seventh lesson, I'm talking about mindsets that rob believers of the abundant life. Now, let's move over into the second part of this lesson. I want to talk now about five manifestations of a lack mentality. We learned from six different witnesses, Old and New Testament, that lack is not the will for the believer, for the Christian. Lack is not God's will. Think about it. If God's will is not that we lack, why are so many believers and even local churches and even ministries that are kingdom oriented, desiring to preach the gospel and to help humanity, to bring Jesus to the world. Why are so many of us experiencing lack in our personal lives, lack in our local churches, lack in our ministries, Why is there so much lack when we see from God's word that lack is not God's will? I believe it's because of a lack mentality. You can have a lack mentality as a minister, a lack mentality as a local church, a lack mentality as a believer, as a minister, and there are five manifestations of a lack mentality. Number one, a fatalistic, mindset. A fatalistic mindset. In these uh, manifestations, I'm going to give you the manifestation, I'm going to give you a proof text, and then I'm going to give you some definitions and concluding remarks. So the first manifestation of a lack mentality is a fatalistic mindset. Jeremiah 13 23 says, Can the Ethiopian change his skin or the leper its spots? Well, the answer to that question is no. The Ethiopian, whose skin is usually, more often than not, dark skin, can the Ethiopian that was born with dark skin change his skin color? Well, absolutely not. Can the leper that's born with spots change its spots? Absolutely not. Now listen at this. What is a fatalistic mindset? A fatalistic mindset is simply believing, thinking we have no power to influence our future. Whenever a Christian or a believer or a church or a pastor or a leader think I have no power to influence my future, he or she is experiencing a fatalistic mindset. A fatalistic mindset is, it is what it is. You ever heard someone say that? Have you ever said that? It is what it is. In other words, some believers believe this is the life God wants me to have. And there's nothing I can do, nothing I should do to change it. That's a fatalistic mindset. Deprivation, deprivation, not having anything is my cross to bear. You'd be absolutely amazed at the number of believers that believe that their economic condition is set in stone, and some even believe that it was predetermined by God that God placed me in this situation, and it is God's will that I witness for him in this situation, and part of that is true. But the untruth part of it is God wants me to bear this. This is my cross for life. And God wants me to bear my cross. When you have a fatalistic mindset, it is what it is. There's nothing I can do to change it. Nothing I should do to change it because it's my cross to bear. Then it robs you of initiative. It robs you of re- believing in God for creative ways to get better, to, to, to change my state. It, it, it robs me of initiative. It robs me of motivation. The second manifestation of a lack mentality is a victim mindset. A victim mindset. Our proof text is Genesis 3.12. After Adam failed, disobeyed God, Having known what God wanted him to do and not do as it relates to the trees in the garden and particularly the tree of the knowledge of good and evil of it, you shall not eat of it. The day you eat from it, you shall surely die. Well, Adam did. His wife, Eve, took the fruit, ate it, gave it to Adam. He ate it. God called Adam on the carpet. Adam was given the instructions. Adam shared it with his wife, and God called Adam on the carpet. Then, because God asked him, have you eaten from the tree that I told you not to eat from? Because he was hiding, even, and Adam was hiding and covered with fig leaves in the garden. God came through the garden, and where are you, Adam? Where are you at? And then Adam said, listen, I was afraid, and we hid ourselves. And then God said, hey, have you eaten from the tree that I told you not to eat? Well, God already knew it, but he was helping Adam to locate himself. And listen to Adam's response. Then the man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me of the tree, and I ate. Now notice God asked Adam have you eaten from the tree? He said well he didn't even answer that part of the question. He said well the woman you gave me you gave her to be with me and she gave me the fruit and I ate. Now watch this it's your fault it's your fault because I was doing fine till you brought that woman in my life. That's what Adam's saying to God. And then in a Indirect way, he's saying, it's not my fault. It's the woman's fault. She gave it to me. She's the one that ate first and then gave it to me. A victim, we see here a manifestation of a victim mentality or a victim mindset. A victim mindset is blaming others for our misfortune. A victim mindset is feeling you are a victim of the negative actions of others. It's not my fault. It's somebody else's fault. Now, here's the truth of the matter. You're not responsible for everything that happens to you. That's too weighted to think. I'm responsible for everything that happens to me. You're not responsible for others' misbehavior, how they have misbehaved and and acted negatively toward you, offended you, hurt you, harmed you, exploited you, taken advantage of you. You are not responsible for others' misbehavior, but you're always responsible for your response. God always holds us Responsible for how we respond. Now watch this. Nowhere in the scripture, and if you find it, you let me know. Nowhere in the scripture does God call believers victims. Nowhere in the scripture does God call you a victim. However, God does call you an overcomer. That's First John 5, 4 through 5. This is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. Who is he that overcomes the world? He that believes that Jesus is the Son of God. See, the Bible says concerning you, believer, that you're an overcomer, not a victim, an overcomer, which implies that there are challenges, problems, others misbehavior, others offense against us, unfair treatment, all these different kinds of things, but we are overcomers No matter what comes your way, no matter what has happened in your past history, you can, based off Scripture and faith in God, faith in the Word, you can overcome it, even if it wasn't your fault, even if you were taken advantage of, abused, molested, raped. God will heal your consciousness from dead works, Hebrews 10 tells us. God will bring deliverance to us. God will take us to another level. God will help us, give us the grace to fulfill our destiny. No matter what the past was, you are not a victim. You are an overcomer. A victim's mentality is a manifestation of a lack mindset, a lack mentality. The third Manifestation of a lack mentality is a complacency mindset. A complacency mindset. Revelation 3, 7, God is speaking, reprimanding the church at Laodicea. And here's what he says. Because you say, I am rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing, and do not know that you are wretched, you're miserable, you're poor, you're blind, you're naked. They had, in this church, even though it was a wealthy church, had a great reputation in the community, a lot of prosperous people in the church. God said to them, that they were lukewarm. He felt like spitting them out, vomiting them out. They had a complacency mindset. Complacency mindset is a mindset of being self-satisfied. It is a mindset of being satisfied with my present state, my present condition, not desiring more. is similar to being lazy. Think about the Christians who say about their present condition, I'm good. I don't need anything else. I don't want anything better. I'm good. That's similar to lazy. See, Some Christians confuse complacency with biblical contentment. They say, well, I'm content. I'm content. No, it's not biblical contentment. Whenever you're in a position and you don't desire more, you don't desire a better condition, you don't desire increase, you're in complacency, not biblical contentment. Trust me, it's not biblical contentment. The Bible does speak about contentment. Let's see what the Bible says. In Hebrews 13, 5, it says, Be content with such things as you have. See there, I told you, I told you, uh, listen, I'm content. And the Bible says I need to be content with what I got. Be content with what I got. No, no. You're reading that text, Uh, you're actually stopping and putting a period where there is a common or a semicolon because you're not reading the whole verse. The whole verse in Hebrews 13, 5 says, be content with such things as you have for, for he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Philippians 4.11, Paul talks about contentment. He said, I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. Well, some people said, well, see there, Paul said, whatever, what state I'm in to just be content. No, Paul wasn't saying I'm self-satisfied. Paul wasn't saying I don't want anything better. Paul didn't, wasn't saying I'm in jail and I'm satisfied with being in jail. I don't have resources that I need right now and I'm satisfied. No, he's not saying that. He's not saying that. He's saying whatever state I'm in, I've learned to be content. But we don't know why, if we stop there, why he had learned to be content. But we'll see in a moment. The object of biblical contentment. Now, listen to me. If you look at Hebrews 13, 5, it's communicating biblical contentment. When we look at Philippians 4, 11 and we listen to Paul, he's talking about biblical contentment. But the object of biblical contentment is not about things. I'm going to stop there for a moment. The object of biblical contentment is not about things. The object of biblical contentment is not about having things or not having things. The object of biblical contentment is God's presence, God's power, and God's provision. That's the object of biblical contentment. God's presence, God's power, God's provision. You see, biblical contentment says, that I can be content here because the Lord is with me. He'll not forsake me. That's God's presence. Paul says, I've learned in what sort of a state there I'm in to be content because God's power is here for me. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, Philippians 4.13. Paul says, I've learned to be content because I have God's provision, but my God shall supply all my need according to his riches and glory. Philippians 4, 19. So the object of biblical contentment is God's presence. Hebrews 13, 5. He'll never leave me or forsake me. God. The object of biblical contentment is God's power. I can do all things to Christ who strengthened me, Philippians 4.13. The object of biblical contentment is God's provision, but my God shall supply all my need, Philippians 4.19. So biblical contentment means to be independent of my external, independent of my uh, my outward or natural circumstances, So what biblical contentment says, and it's not complacency, it says, listen, no matter what's going on in my life, my natural external circumstances, whether it be lack, insufficiency, whether it be enemies, whether it be deprivation, no matter what state that I'm in, I know that I can overcome it because God's presence is with me. He'll never leave me nor forsake me. I know I can overcome it because I have God power. I can do all things through Christ who strengthened me. I know I can overcome even this lack state because my God shall supply all my needs, Philippians 4.19. So you see what people are confusing, biblical contentment with complacency. They have a complacent mindset. I'm satisfied with my present state. I have no desire to better my life, to do more, because I'm content. That's not biblical contentment. That is complacency. It is a complacent mindset. The fourth uh, manifestation of a lack mentality is what I call a waste mindset, a waste. Matthew 26, 8 In that 26th chapter, a woman comes to this house where Jesus is, and she brings this precious bottle of ointment very cautiously. She opens the bottle and pours it on Jesus and anoints him. The disciples said in Matthew 26, 8, and then in another uh, uh, gospel, it says Judas said, And when the disciples saw it, what the woman did, she took this expensive jar of perfume and poured it on Jesus. When the disciples saw it, and Judas saw it because he had the bag, he was stealing money out of the bag, he said, they were indignant and said, this is a waste. This was a waste. We should have taken this perfume, this ointment, this precious bottle of perfume, solely and given to the poor because it was a waste there are christians who have what i'm calling a waste mentality a waste mindset a waste mindset is a mindset where believers believe that they cannot both have and give they believe that they cannot do both i cannot have and give some believers believe I can have and, and, and I can't give. Others believe I need to give it all away and not have. I don't believe the Bible teach one or the other. 2 Corinthians 9 verse 8, God is able to make all grace abound toward you so that you always have it all sufficiency in all things may abound to every good work. Abound, abound is used twice in Second Corinthians chapter 9 verse 8. God wants us to have and he wants us to give. He wants to have, he wants to give. I don't believe that there's sacrifice in that. I've never taught sacrifice. One and go without the other. Do one, go without the other. I've never taught that. Some Christians had a waste miss talent to went out church, Faith Chapel here in Birmingham, our Birmingham campus. We built a 3,000-seat dome sanctuary that cost $16 million. And there were people who said, that's a waste. They should have took that money and given that money to the poor. My mindset, because I didn't have a waste mentality, my mindset, why can't we build the building, pay the $16 million, and still give to the poor? Why do we have to choose one or the other? Because God can afford it. God is, God is wealthy. God is the one supplying, so why do we have to choose one or the other? And we did. We built the building and we gave to the poor and have given millions of dollars to people, to poor, to ministries, to missions, millions of dollars, and yet we've had outstanding facilities. Now, others believe uh, has a different view on a waste mentality mindset. They believe that a luxury is a waste. A luxury is a comfortable, beautiful, finer things of life. And there are Christians that think, man, why should I pay that money for those fine things, those expensive things? That's a waste of money. Well, let's think for a moment. Did God create the finer things of life only for the unbeliever? That's a question for you. Second question, can God afford it? Can God afford it? Now, it is wisdom to negotiate. It is wisdom to, to bring prices down. Sellers, most sellers expect you to negotiate. It's okay to try to get discounts. If you can, and sometimes timing may be an issue for you. Maybe it's not the time in terms of where you are in your faith world, in your financial world, for you to pay this for this expensive thing. Timing may be an issue. But now listen, everything Is not going to be on sale. So if you have a sale mentality, this is a waste. You're never going to truly experience the finer things of life because everything is not going to be on sale. So here's, here's the issue don't say it's a waste. Don't remove the word waste from your vocabulary. You know, God um, many months ago spoke to me about a lavish lifestyle, and God can speak to me with a few words, and I know what he's talking about. He just said lavish lifestyle, and I knew he was telling me he wanted me to have a lavish lifestyle. So God doesn't see and have a lavish lifestyle. You have to experience the finer things the beautiful things, the, comfort, the comfortable things of life. God is not exposed to you having that, but your mindset, if your, your mindset is a, a lack mentality, is a waste mentality, you're never going to experience the finer things of life. Now, listen at this confession brings possession. I'm not saying go out and borrow a bunch of stuff, get in debt, trying to live what the world calls above your me. I'm not talking about that. How about approaching it like this? Confession brings possession. Say that. Confession brings possession. Say it again. Confession brings possession. The Bible says in Romans 10:10, 10, 10, with my heart, I believe with my mouth, confession is made unto. With my heart, I believe what God says in the word. And then with my mouth, I'll confess my way unto it. And that's what I do. I begin to confess. I believe I'm living a lavish lifestyle. I'm not doing anything. I'm confessing my way unto it. And God will give me the wisdom and the resources to walk it out. But I confess my way unto it. I confess, with your heart you believe, with the mouth you confess unto salvation. The fifth mindset and the f- the fifth and final lack mentality, manifestation of a lack mentality is what I call a constraint mindset. You find that in Luke chapter 5. Jesus instructed Peter in Luke chapter 5 to launch out into the deep. Let down your nets, nets for a drought. Let down your nets for a drought. Jesus said, listen, we've been toiling all night, haven't caught anything. We've cleaned all of our nets. He said, nevertheless, at your word, I'm going to cast out the net. He cast out the net and the net broke. Now, what is a constraint mindset? A constraint mindset is where we limit or place restrictions on God. We limit God, we place restrictions. God said, let down your nets, plural, for a drought. Peter says, I'm gonna let down a net. In other words, Peter downsized the promise. God says, if you let down nets, plural, you'll catch a great catch, a drought, a large catch of fish. Peter cast out a net, he downsized the promise, and he got a fish, but the net broke. God wanted him to catch a large catch of fish. He downsized the promise from net to net. Now, many Christians are downsizing the promises. They do it in a lot of things. They do it in this area of finances and material prosperity, but they do it in other areas. For example, Isaiah 53, 4 and 5 says, surely he has borne our sicknesses, grief is sicknesses carry our sorrows. That's pain. Uh, yet we did esteem Him smitten, stricken of God, and afflicted. but he was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities, the chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. Now in that those verses, Isaiah 53 four and five, we have three promises. We have the promise of, Forgiveness or deliverance from sin. He was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. We also have the promise of good soul health, mental health. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And we also have the promise of physical healing by his stripes. We are healed. So notice forgiveness of sins, wholeness in our soul. That's emotional health, mental health, and then healing for our bodies. But most Christians interpret Isaiah 53, 4 and 5 as forgiveness of sins only. They say it does not promise healing, whether it be mental or physical. They have downsized the promise. Well, I call that a constraint mentality. Listen, I'm out of time, but we've talked about A lack is not God's will for your life. We talked about five manifestations of a lack mentality, a fatalistic mindset, victim mindset, complacency mindset, a waste mindset, and a constraint mindset. This concludes our teaching on the God of abundance. Now, it was seven lessons. I want you to go back. Listen to all seven of those lessons, and I'm convinced beyond a shadow, you will end up having an abundance mentality. And remember, as a man thinketh, so is he. In other words, prosperity, kingdom prosperity begins in us, and then it manifests outside. So what we've attempted to do is to deal with your thoughts thinking, develop an abundance mentality. Because once you get an abundance mentality, guess what? It is going to begin to manifest in your external, outside, natural world and circumstances. Listen, I love you. Thank you so very much for spending these seven lessons with us. We're going to begin something new in our next lesson. I love you. Pray that you have a successful weekend and the rest of the week you. Mm-hmm.